Welcome to the Right Now Show. This show is all about inspiring our generation, people in their 20s, to go out and actually go for your dream, to find out what your purpose and your mission in life is. And I know that you listening, you are capable of so much more than you can possibly imagine. And I want you to go out and I want you to make that happen. And on this show, we're going to bring on people that have inspired us, that are absolutely just crushing it in life and have overcome insane odds. And this show is called The Right Now Show because the only thing that is truly real is this moment. Let's get into the show. What's up, guys? Welcome to the show. We got Antonio here. Antonio, what's going on, man? How's it going? Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, man. Definitely excited to get into it. Um, so I know you're a business owner, you're a business coach. Um, I want to kind of dive back and, and kind of go into your story of, you know, how you got into that stuff. So what were you like before you, know, you became a business owner? Uh, I don't know how far back you want to go. I, um, I grew up, uh, an only child until I was 11 years old. So it was just me and my dad and, uh, he got married when I was nine and then my first brother came when I was 11 and the other one came a few years after that. Um, so growing up, my dad was a business person. He started off in life insurance and kind of ground level worked his way up and ended up um, running uh, as a managing partner in New York Life um, out of the greater Detroit offices. And his clients were high net worth people. And um, since it was just him and I, I didn't really have anywhere to go. So I'd always be tagging along in meetings with him or sitting in the car or in the corner of the office. And sometimes I'd have my Game Boy and I'd have other things. But um, I didn't realize it until years later, but it's amazing what you uh, retain without even knowing that you are. And so mm -hmm. I had always grown up around business owners um, and I was just very comfortable uh, with older people and business owners in general, kind of seeing uh, the struggles that they have and kind of what goes on behind the scenes. And I remember one day, um, sitting in the car and it was a longer appointment. And so I was getting bored and he had a Tony Robbins uh, tape in his car. And I remember playing that and I was captivated by it. And mm -hmm. it kind of kicked me off of, I knew I was going to do something along those lines. At that time, I didn't obviously know what, um, but for the last 16 years, I've really, spent a lot of time understanding psychology and what makes a person change habits and, and why some people can perform and other people can't. And we're all provided the same opportunities. And that was kind of a lesson that I learned uh, playing football growing up. I played football for 13 years and um, I had my first half of my football career, I was not a star. I was not a, um, a main focused player. And mm -hmm. when I was in seventh grade, my dad got promoted to his position at a managing partner at New York life. So we moved to the other side of the state and I ended up moving to a school that was a football powerhouse and the athletes at this school were a lot better than the athletes from the school that I came from. And it, I recognized it as an opportunity to 
reinvent myself. And um, it, it pushed me to different heights, but, but I realized at that point in time that it was all me. Nobody's going to save me. No one's going to do this for me. I have to do it. And I did. And so I became the athlete there, you know, with um, for sure. when it came to football. And, and that kind of set me off on the, this is what you have to do. A lot of mindset, but it's also work. And the results of what happens on the field uh, is a direct correlation to the work that you do off of the field. And so all of the work is done off of the field. You just get the, you know, prove it on the field. So I first started off uh, in financial services as I specialized in uh, estate planning for life insurance, cash value life insurance with uh, businesses and endowment funds and high net worth individuals. And at 18 years old, I was working with people that made a lot of money Um, Mm. and but I'm 18 years old and they're letting me do this. And so I, but that was because of the work that I put in out of the office of learning what I needed to do. And so I wasn't happy, you know, I I made a lot of money, but I wasn't happy doing that. And um, so I started uh, my consulting business Uh, for years and years. I did not know how to tell people what was in here. It was just kind of, one of those things that became natural. Uh, so it was, let me do it for you and you can watch and learn, but I don't know how to tell you. And gotcha. I've had my own businesses, some good, some bad. Uh, I've worked with a lot of businesses uh, over the years since 2008. Um, and it wasn't until later on where I met uh, a couple individuals Um Keith Cunningham, who's the rich dad of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and uh, Donald Miller, who is uh, an author, but he's a coach for coaches. Yeah, I know them. Yeah. And um, they really just gave me a light bulb to to transfer what was in my head to people. So then I started working um, as a strategist alongside business owners and helping them uh, grow their business. I always work with the business owner directly. So there's a reason that everybody starts a business. And Mm -hmm. I always say this and it doesn't necessarily sound the best, but I don't care about your business. Uh, I care about you as a business owner. Um, And I don't care if your business is capable of getting to a billion dollars. What I do is I sit down with you and say, what do you want out of your life? Um, Mm. What does that life look like for you? And that life has a dollar amount attached to it. And so whatever that is, is what I help align the business towards. Um, And so your business could be a billion dollars, could be $500 million. But if you only want 20 million, I only need to help you build the strategy to get your business to 20 million um, for you. And um, it's a different strategy involved with that. So uh, then I met my mentor, um, who's close to a billionaire. He's a nine figure guy. He'll be a billionaire here soon. But um, he introduced me to a whole different network of people. And one of those people uh, is Adam Coffey. And Adam Coffey is a basically a, a private equity backed CEO. So he'll go into companies and uh, he's, you know, $100 million a year to bring him into your company. So he's working with a very select group of large companies plus equity. And 
he kind of opened my mind up to, I had a lot of people coming and saying, I want to grow my business. I want to take it to the next level. I need better salespeople. I want to, whatever it happens to be, whether it's from a complete startup or whether they've been around for 20 years. And that's what I always tell people do. Except he opened my eyes to the point to say, the value is not in the business um, that you create yourself uh, with the salary that you create yourself. The value of the business is the multiple placed on the business itself. The, the, the multiple is the business. The, vis the business has its value. And so right. he operates under a uh, build to sell uh, three to five years. So if you can build a business and sell it every three to five years and you capitalize on that multiple, uh, that's where wealth is created. And that's what he's done for his career. And sometimes selling a company two or three or four times, the same one. So uh, I, I said, man, you know, you're absolutely right. So that's what I do now is, you know, the next level of any business is to have one that can sell. 88% of businesses will never sell. And for me, as my focus as the business owner, that really translated to me to say, 88% of business owners are never going to really have their dreams come to life because they're not building a business that's capable of being sold. Everybody wants to have a business forever. They want to pass it to their kids. Your kids don't want your business. They want their own business. And True. they don't value the one that you created because they didn't create it. Uh, at the same time, mm. um, no business, a business has a lifespan of a human being. Uh, no business uh, is around over 100 years. Now, there are brands that are around over 100 years, but it's not the same business as it was. Um, so things evolve and change. And so it, it, it's building your business to be able to sell it. Now, you don't have to sell it. I think you should. Um, and I can show you how, but you don't have to sell it. The point is, is having a business that's capable of being sold. And when you grow a business with that mindset, you grow it in a different way than just mm -hmm. growing your business. Um, so I got to, you know, find that. So that's kind of been my, my path is, uh, I've had my own businesses. I still do. And some good, some bad. I've learned a lot of lessons right. over the years and, but I've worked with a lot of people and that's taken me where I am today. I love that, man. Yeah, I want to go back to uh, football because it sounds like that's kind of where you made that transition in your mindset. Um, I want to like when you switch those schools, like what went through your mind to like kind of really step up your game? Like what was the reason why? Was it to prove somebody wrong, to prove somebody right? At the time, I was very angry. I did not want to move. I was right in the middle of seventh mm -hmm. grade. I had all my friends. I had life as I knew it. And I was not happy. Um, so when I went to that school, I was very closed off in the very beginning. I, I did not want to meet people. Um, and I remember it was middle of the year. So, you know, what was starting was track. And I always did track and field um, because it kept me in shape for football. It was a way for my speed and my agility training and everything else. Um, but when I went to that school, they wanted you to do three events. Uh, and I was a sprinter. I was a hundred meter dash person. I did four by one, but I had to pick another one. And I, I just kind of said, all right, let's just try, um, long jump. It was kind of suggested to me. So I don't know anything about long jump. I run and I jump and I ended up beating the school record at the time. And, uh, wow. that was 
kind of fun internally to know that I just beat the school record and I didn't, I wasn't trying to. Um, right behind me was uh, the athlete uh, there. And of course, he didn't like that very much. So when he jumped, he beat my record. And that really upset me. And I already, I already had this, this angry energy in, in me. And uh, so I jumped and I beat it again. And that day, what could have been a rivalry between the two of us, um, he ended up becoming my best friend. And we're still friends today. Uh, and wow. I noticed, I was always been pretty mindful. And I think I noticed in that moment that um, the competition made me better. It also made him better. And he was, he was a, he was a phenomenal athlete. Um, went on to play for a championship division two college football. And, um, he could have played division one, but you know, you know, the difference of playing versus being on the roster is two different things. And so he wanted to play, but, sure. But I noticed then, and, and so I, as I was hanging out with him, um, you know, we would play football and we would do things uh, on the weekends and after school. And um, of course, I got introduced to his group of friends and I'm the new kid. And so, but I, I recognize that you are who you're around. And so being around certain types of people, they, they bring you up. And uh, when I saw what I was capable of doing, that just ignited an energy that was like uh, kind of an addiction. Um, so I think that was really the mindset shift of I can do it. And I was able to prove to myself that I can. And I think that mental shift was what really did that for me. Sure. Yeah. Um, with that, you know, like you said, you were growing up with your dad, your dad was a business owner. What were some of the main lessons you learned from your dad growing up? Taking action. So. He's always been an individual that if he wants to do something, he's going to go do it. And I noticed that very early on with a lot of people. It's not just talk. It's not just let's think about doing this and then it gets shelved. Um, I just saw all the daily actions. I mean, I would even go, he would rent um, hotel conference rooms and set up the chairs like he was on stage and he would practice his seminars over and over and over to nobody. Um, so I saw the work that went in behind the scenes late nights at the time, you know, this is early nineties at the time that was slide projectors. So he had created all the slides and they go in the thing and they were, you know, so I, I just saw all these things that go into um, how he crafted himself because when I was born, he was, he was a police officer. You know, he didn't, he didn't, there was no money. We didn't come from a family with, with money. Um, my grandpa, uh, who was, uh, uh, elected, um, Senator in Michigan, but he never actually served a term because during the, uh, campaign before he actually took over, he had been diagnosed with brain cancer. And so he died when my dad was about two years old. Um, wow. So my grandmother raised my aunt and uncle and my dad, three kids on her own. Um, of course, some, some stepchildren as well. 
Um, so we didn't come from anything. And so I, I saw it was really a mind sh shift for him. Of course, at the time, I didn't know. But years later, it was, you know, he just he wanted a different life. Um, and that that decision and then acting on it was what brought him where he was. And so, yeah, I just, you know, for my dad, it was really just doing the work. You know, it's the action and, and not necessarily working hard, but working smart. Um, mm -hmm. leveraging uh, networks and, and partnerships and being able to recognize people around you to help get you where you need to go. Uh, you know, building an office of what he did, it's not about him. You can't do it all yourself. So you need trainers, you need recruiters, you need top salespeople and the ability to attract them with a vision is what a business owner is supposed to be. And a lot of small business owners go out there and they create a business for themselves thinking, I need to do all of the work, you know, and that's the wrong way to think about it. No, I totally agree. Now, you said you had uh, a job where you were working for people that were making a lot of money at just 18 years old. How do you do that? How do you leverage those those connections? I didn't know that I couldn't. So. Um, Interesting. I went through my training at New York Life uh, because I believe that they have a phenomenal training program for insurance agents. They're very, I think they're the best at it. Um, but I didn't mm -hmm. want to work for them. My, my, my whole mindset at that time, now I went to college, but I only went for a few weeks. <laughs> so uh, mm -hmm. I wanted to play football. Um, and at the time, different than today, I, I was a quarterback. So, you know, I'm, I'm 5'11 and uh, with cleats on. So like 5'10 and a half, right? And they, mm -hmm. all the division one schools, I was too short. Uh, so today is different, right? You can be short and mobile, but then they, you want, they wanted, you got to be over six foot, right? Just to be looked at. So um, I knew that that was going to happen and division two is not going to really lead to much. So I said, I'm just going to go here. So I went focused on a, a private business school um, to master in entrepreneurship as a triple major kind of university. And um, my first class in the entrepreneurial program, uh, the professor, I, I was always trained to ask questions, not just take uh, people's answers for what they are. And so I asked him a few questions and I found out he didn't own a business, uh, yet he's teaching an entrepreneurial class at a, a university. And I called my dad afterwards and um, I said, I was scared that my mindset would change. So he said, okay, well, you can come home, but you can't come home. So I got an apartment and uh, the deal was, is that I had to make over a hundred thousand dollars on my first tax return, or I had to go back to school. So that was my benchmark. And of course, insurance is all hundred percent commission. And so, you know, for the first six months, I really struggled. I really struggled. I was really learning and making mistakes and crafting my skill and trying to find out what it was. And then all of a sudden, uh, I did the same stuff. I, I would go up in uh, one an empty room that I had, then I would practice my presentation over and over and over and over and over and over until the point where it was just, I didn't even think about it anymore. Um, and I would run seminars and I would do stuff and I just kind of got into um, 
some clients that gave me some money. I ended that first year with 112,000 um, uh, of commissions. And so I made it just by a little bit. And, um, wow. and then I, and then I wanted, I was young, right? So I had some money and um, there was a, a Corvette that I saw at a dealership and I went up to look at it and it had been sold that morning. And I'm like, oh shit. So he, uh, sorry, I don't know about the explicit on here. Um, no, you're good. And so uh, he goes, let me show you another one. And so he brings me up and there's a brand new one in, inside of the lot. Uh, 2007, uh, I think it was a C5, maybe C6 or whatever that was at the time. C6, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, I can't afford this, right? So, but the lease, I said, if you can get the payment in this, I'll do it. So I got that car and uh, leased it. And I felt good. Um, it gave me a little bit of energy, but I bought it for the wrong reason. I bought it because I was young and just wanted to spend some money. And I, that summer, um, my dad was at the Ferrari dealership and he said, hey, I want you to come up here. There's a car that I think you want to look at. And I'm like, I can't afford a Ferrari. So, but I go up there anyways, uh, just because I thought it would be cool. And I've been to the Ferrari dealership before. So as I pull in, the salesman mm-hmm. kind of laughs at me because I'm driving a Corvette and they're at a Ferrari dealership. I'm like, what the hell are you? I'm an 18 years old, dude. You know, um, and uh, the payment was more. Of course, the down payment was more, but I knew I had some commissions coming in. And um, my dad said, don't look at this car as a toy for you. Look at this car as a tool. So I listened to his advice and I got the car. And uh, immediately it put me into an equal status with certain people. Um, They accepted me and I realized that this is just a business tool um, to get in front of certain people as an equal. Mm. And when I did, it's not just the car, it was all of the work that I had done prior to that. I knew what I was talking about. So when I would sit in front of them, I could hold my conversations and actually teach them things that they didn't know. Um, right. So that put me into that group of people, but I had always focused on that. So a typical life insurance agent, when they start out, they're trained to sell term insurance and sell these little policies and put 10, 15, 20 of these policies through a week and build up your base. Um, but I was trained differently and, uh, I wanted quality versus quantity. And so when I wrote a policy, it might take six months to go through because there's a lot of people involved. There's a lot of time. They're big, big, expensive um, estate planning tools. And I only might do three or four of those a year, but that put me at a different level of people. So I think at an early age, I just, I was already comfortable, but I didn't know any different. I didn't know, um, that I wasn't supposed to be. So, yeah, I think it was just, there was just the, my, the way that my dad raised me, I didn't know that I wasn't allowed to do that, you know? And so right. it's kind of one of those things where, uh, if you listen to the wrong people, uh, there was a psychology experiment that we did, uh, in school that, that stuck with me. It was, it was, um, uh, fleas. And so fleas, are extraordinary athletes for their size, for their little tiny itty bitty body. They can jump. I don't remember what it is now, but like 16 to 20 times their body size, you know, whatever. Right. 
And, but if you put the lid on the jar, um, after we came back after a week, I'm not sure actually what the cutoff is, but after a week we took the lids off, um, and they would never jump out of the jar. Uh, we had to of course wear gloves and everything cause they're fleas. Right. But, um, Right. But uh, but the lesson there was that 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 barrier kept them down, even though they're capable of doing it. Um, and that happens with a lot of things. That's how they train elephants. Um, you know, they put the, the the cuffs on their ankle and they put a, a huge anchor into the ground and the elephants try to pull away. And of course, these are circus elephants, but they pull away and it kind of cuts them. So over time, they learn, OK, I can't move without this radius when I'm on this thing. Now you can put the, the tiniest little string on them and they're put a little stick in the ground. They're not going to pull it out, even though that they, they're capable of doing so. So it, it, right. it's just a mindset thing. You know, I just didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. So your, your dad was a big mentor. Um, now I know you mentioned like Tony Robbins Did you go to like any seminars, business seminars while you're growing up that really, uh, you know, changed that mindset for you. Uh, not, not so much on the, on the business side. Um, Right. But the Tony Robbins events and stuff like that, that's what really crafted me uh, from a personal side. Um, and then that's really what I focus on when I work with individuals. Um, see, Tony always says it's 80% psychology, 20% skill. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at my life, whether it's football or work or anything, even my dad, if you want something bad enough, you'll always find a way. It's not about the how, because if you have the how and you know how, but you don't want it bad enough, it's not going to work anyways. And so I said, in order for me to help my clients get where they want to go, I have to be able to really affect their psychology, not necessarily the skill that they have. They're already skillful. Um, And if they really wanted to, they could probably figure out how. But it's it's really the the personal side to it. And how do I get them to do it? And I can't tell you, I have to get you to make the decision. So there's a difference there. And um, when I met my mentor now, he's 100% business. He does not care about your personal life at all. And I know that there's a blend between the two because a business owner, they face a lot of stuff that you always hear that saying of it's it's lonely at the top. Well, it doesn't have to be, but they make it that way. And so what happens is, is I don't care if you have a 50-50 partner, if you own the business by yourself, or if you got four partners, there, there's always usually one driver to the business, even if it's a 50-50 partnership. And mm-hmm. there are times where things happen that internally you say, this isn't good, right? And you are kind of nervous, but you cannot walk into your office with your staff and let them see you that way. Uh, You can't even go to your 50-50 partner and let him or her see you that way because maybe they've never seen you that way. And all of a sudden, this one is really making you nervous and you're the main driver and people go, "Uh uh-oh, are we going to be okay? So that creates a different work ethic or energy level inside of the company. And I think inherently, we know that as business owners, but we just choose to not we know as achievers, we're going to fix it. I just don't know when or how yet. Right. So I'm just not going to say yeah. that. at the same time, you're not going to go home to your spouse. Now you could tell everything to your spouse, except this thing, whatever that might be for you, because you know, you're going to fix it. Maybe it's going to take six months. Who knows? But 
I don't want you, my spouse, to think that there's a big problem because now you're going to be stressed. And so now not only when I'm at work, when I come home, you're kind of worried a little bit that are we going to have a house? Are we going to be okay? I don't want that additional stress. So I just don't say certain things. Right. And for me, I said, if I'm going to really be the business engineer and the strategist and help you really craft this, I need to know everything about you. Um, and I need you, I need to be the one person that you do talk to so that I can help you create an effective strategy. But, you know, if there's problems at work, maybe it's not your business. Maybe it's at home and you're just not performing the way that you need to at work. Uh, if your relationship's in trouble, maybe it's nothing to do with your relationship. Maybe it's you're taking stuff home and you're still stressed and that's coming through in a different way. So there's always different things, but more of the personal side. And I needed the skill set to say, how do I affect that change? How do I do it? And so, yeah, you know, I think that's been the biggest thing for me. Now, of course, I've learned um, and been to different business seminars. I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in coaching and education. I mean, I, I, I may just I didn't go to college. I, I'm very educated. I just have been educated in different ways. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but I but I do think that that those have really helped me early on with the mindset. And of course, then what do you do with it afterwards, right? It's not just a you go to it and you, all of a sudden you have the skills. It's a constant repetition of these things and and crafting it. Yeah. So do you think growing yourself personally, like growing your lifestyle and you know, growing the business, you think those two things they go together? Like if you if you don't grow yourself, it's really hard to grow your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are, we, we, we have um, six basic human needs. Every person on the planet has the six same basic human needs that, that we all need. And um, we focus on different things. And so the way that you operate your day-to-day -day life is really because we're predominantly focused on two of those needs. So we all need all six, but it's where we really put our focus that drives it. And most people don't recognize that. They're kind of doing it without knowing it. Um, for example, significance, we like feel significant, but in the eyes of other people, if I do something, it's the ego. You know, I get um, acknowledgement from it or recognition from it. Mm -hmm. and are you happy with my work? If you're not happy with my work, I feel bad, but that's the wrong way to do that. Right. And the other thing is, um, you know, kind of being right all of the time do I need to be right because I need to feel right? And what kind of damage does that cause to relationships over time? I don't always have to be right. And I can argue with you back and forth um, just to make sure that, that I'm not right. But, um, but that's what we all kind of need that stuff. And so, but I don't want to focus on that. So what I've realized over time is that when I focus on growth, um, you know, I kind of feel, like that significance always used to drive me when I played football. It was when the crowd would go wild or the newspapers would write about me or whatever. I fed off of that. But if I had a bad game and that was the opposite effect, it really affected me mentally. And I always worked harder to get through it. But when I go back and I look at all of these little things, it was never about the significance or the crowd or the newspapers or whatever was happening or the recognition and the trophies or the awards or the trips or whatever it is that you won. It was always, I was constantly growing 
from an early age, you're literally growing. Then you mm-hmm. get into school, you're learning, you're growing. You get into college or start your own career, you're learning, you're growing. And at some point, as a young adult, people say, I got it. I went to school. I have it. I know what I know. And they stop learning. They stop growing. Um, And you get into that like midlife crisis where they're just like, I'm not happy. I don't know what to do. But you stopped growing. And so that growth is always there. Um, Your health, your own body. If you can't, if you're struggling to grow your business and you're struggling to find motivation, and you're not going to the gym and you're not keeping yourself active, you know, they go hand in hand, even though people don't think about it. Now you can look at some people and say, well, this person is highly successful and they're extremely overweight or not healthy. I think those are exceptions to the rules, but that doesn't mean that they're not, maybe they're not growing their body, but I promise you they're growing their mind. I bet you they're reading a Mm -hmm. book a week or news, news articles, old school style magazines, newspapers every day, you know, they're constantly learning. And so I'll ask people sometimes, you know, maybe you just don't want to go to the gym. I think that you should, because I think it affects your energy levels, which affects everything else. The The energy that we operate is going to carry momentum. But if you're just not that person, okay. But when was the last time you read a book? When was the last time you read a, a newspaper? When was the last time you read anything? Um, so if you stop growth, you know, your energy is going to follow along with it, I think. Do you think growth and happiness go together? Like if you're not growing, it's really hard to be happy. Um, happiness is, I, I think, a combination of, of things. So, uh, but I do think that growth and happiness are very much correlated. Um, the other thing, when I talk about the six human needs, the other thing that I found that really uh, was something I wanted to focus on was contribution. Um, mm-hmm. when I was 15 ish years old, 14, 15, I don't think I had my driver's license yet. Um, I wasn't definitely in high school, but my dad came one year and said that well, we weren't going to have Christmas. Um, and I was like, what are you talking about? You know, um, young brothers and, you know, I'm 15. So my other brother would have been four and my other brother probably one or two and um so but he said that he had found uh three families uh, i think two from the church and one from somewhere else and um one had passed away in iraq and the other one um i don't remember now it's kind of foggy what happened the other one just but they were single parent homes i think one was a single two of them were single parent homes and the other one was just not didn't have any money and he said, you know, we're going to go shopping for them. We're going to provide Christmas for them. So we went to Toys R Us and I had a blast picking out bicycles. We knew the ages of the kids and boys and girls. And um, I had so much fun picking things off of the shelf that I would want. And so we had a great time. And then I remember Christmas morning, very, very early, we brought things to their house, rang the doorbell, knocked on the door, and we ran away. Um, I don't know who they are. They don't know who we are. I never saw them open the door. I never got to see the reaction. Um, But that stuck with me. And so when I was going through a lot of stuff with Tony Robbins and I'm learning some of these things of what really drives me, growth was one thing that I, what I recognized kind of right away. And the other thing was 
contribution. It's doing things for other people that are not, not just coding things, really actually affecting change in them, making a significant change for them. I recognized the, that drives my happiness. So even today, I don't, I don't do like the online coaching thing where I have a thousand, two thousand people paying forty-seven dollars a month or something like that because there's no lack of information today. People lack the ability to execute, mm -hmm. and I want to be able to right. contribute in a way that actually creates results. I value results. So when it comes to happiness, yes, I think growth is a direct correlation. You have to constantly be growing, whether it's your mind, your body, your business, your relationship, whatever it is, you kind of always have to be growing and progressing because if you're not growing, you're dying. There is no stalemate. Yeah. Um, and so that growth is a part of that. But the other thing is, I don't need recognition from you. Um, I can see if it's affecting you in your life. Um, I can see your happiness. And that contribution is what makes me happy. So right. um, I think that happiness, yes, is growth, but I think happiness is also what are you doing to affect other people? I think everybody would love to contribute and know that it is actually making a difference for somebody versus, um, you know, the awards are fine. You go to that thing, but it's like, it's like watching Rocky. Right. You watch the movie and you're pumped up for an hour afterwards and then it dies back down. Right. So that mm. stuff is is short lived. But contribution and affecting people's lives uh, is something that that lasts forever. You know, I can look yeah. at somebody and know that, you know, I met you 20 years ago, but you are on the path that you are today because of an interaction that we had. And that is more fulfilling. Yeah, very fulfilling. Now let's uh, let's dive into uh, your coaching. Um, like, how do you get into that? And uh, like, what exactly do you do? Do you you do uh, make like strategies for people? Like, someone comes to you and you help them strategize and build themselves up. Yeah. Um, so I got into it by you know that starting back um, when I left insurance, I I, I started off just uh, as a sales coach working with. Um, investment advisors and insurance agents and I would do case preparation with them so if they had a big client that you know that they're meeting I would help them here's what you should say here's how you should position it here's the benefit for them and work with them so that they go into the meeting and can close it but I didn't want to be known as just uh, a sales coach there's so much more to it and um you know I had always worked with business owners and I always had been taught myself to if you're going to work and you already have that energy and that drive, do it for yourself. And so um, I always had tried to do that. Now, um, the second part of your question there is my coaching. So it's evolved over time, I think, better and better and better. But really what I do now is for new clients, I do what I call an immersion day. Um, we spend eight hours. It's a long day. Um, wow. But I mentally break you down. And it's a long day, but you're full of energy. I promise you, you're not sleeping, right? Because we're, I'm engaging you. And what I'm doing is I'm taking you on a full transformation. So we're going to start the day. I want to know about you. I want to know 
Um, I ask you questions and I take you things down. I'm not telling you anything. This is you doing the work. I'm just kind of guiding you through the process of what do I want my future to be? What's the purpose of it? Because, you know, I can't just take off. Where do you, where do you, where do you live? Where are you from? Uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. So I'm in West Michigan, right? So I can't, if I go to Pennsylvania, I'm sure I can make it to Pennsylvania if I start driving east, right? Might take me a while because I don't really know the exact direction to get there, but I can make it there. Now, if you said, um, I am in, uh, what's a city in Pennsylvania? Uh, what's a uh, Philly, Philadelphia, Philadelphia. So like I say, okay, if I'm going to go to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I get a little bit more specific, then it's not just somewhere in Pennsylvania. I'm going to Philadelphia, right? But now if I want to stay, I want to be in Philadelphia. Today is Tuesday. I want to be there by Thursday at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I have a specific deadline. So now I'm going to use my navigation to make sure that I get there. And not, not that I'd get there, but I get there at a specific time. And then I use my navigation to make sure that that happens. So after we craft your life and your vision, I don't want that when I'm 80 years old and I can't enjoy it anymore. I want that at a specific period of time. So now that I know that, okay, now we're going to move into your business. What is your business? Let me understand how you make money. Um, and we may play with some of that for a little while, making sure that it is aligned with what you it says you want and getting you to think about things that maybe you didn't think about because you're just focused on growing my business and sales and doing this and this and this, but yeah. is it aligned with what you said you want, or is it taking you away from what you're actually want in your life? So we'll take time aligning that um, and crafting it to make sure that it's the the best way to do it from a strategy standpoint. Um, and then we finish the final part of uh, actually crafting the map, um, the strategy to get you there. And that is uh, for me, the fun part. So um, a lot of times the first two thirds of that day, people are kind of going through things, but they don't yet see the possibility of it. And when we get to the strategy part, I don't do annual planning. I believe that everybody that does annual planning has an illusion of time and things go too slow. So I take mm -hmm. the far out, what do I want? When do I want it? And I break it down into 12 week. So I run like a 12 week year. Um, because there's urgency now and every day. And so when we do that, I break everything down and I create a 12 week strategy where every single day, every week, we will know exactly, are we on, I don't know what, exactly what to do that are my blue chip activities. I don't put every little thing that's possible in there. It's all the, only the blue chip money-making directly correlated activity that needs to. Got it. And I have a program, a software program where I track that. So, um, we'll jump on a, a quick 15 minute weekly accountability meeting that I kind of do with uh, people to kind of start the week and reviewing the past week. And we score your performance, not on the results, but on your execution of the strategy. Are you doing the things that need to be done? Or are you not? I don't care if it's your body, your relationship, everything goes into this um, because it all has to come together. And um, the, that is the how. And so at the end of the immersion day, you have the whole plan. So you can either take that, use the software system and score yourself and just go do that plan, or I can help you go forward with it. Um, and that going forward, there's 
two different kind of forks. One is packages where you can buy hours and you can use those however you want. You can, you, whenever you feel you need it, you can schedule an appointment and we'll jump on a call. The other ones are really more my active involvement with you. Um, so we can make it so it's scheduled weekly, bi-weekly, or I have um, really kind of like the flagship one, which is like, I'm a co-CEO with you. I'm there with you and we can talk mm. every day, like that. times a day, whatever it happens to be. Wow. But I'm going to literally hold your hand and help you do tasks and I'll be involved in staff meetings and doing things with mm -hmm. you um, wow. to help make sure that it happens uh just because everybody's a little bit different and what's the level of involvement that you want you can just do the day and you go do it yourself or um we have those those programs and so at the end of the day what i do is boost your performance get your staff uh engaged to help you grow because if there's only one or two people at the top growing that's gonna be a, a slower version but if I can get everybody engaged and they understand why and how they fit in, like a football team, for example, if the quarterback, the running back, and the wide receivers were the only ones trying to do the work, it doesn't work. But it's not very fun maybe being the left guard, but you're extremely vital to how this is going to perform. And so getting everybody in the company to understand how and why they are important and getting their own dreams aligned with their job and how can they make this all happen so that they're not sure. coming to work looking for the next job um you have everybody's growth so at the end of the day it's uh, i i really help people build the business in a three to five year window that is capable of being sold i think that you should sell it doesn't mm -hmm. mean you have to walk away because there's different versions of that um but I'm building you a sellable business. And what I tell people about the selling part is, um, again, that's the value. So, and I don't care if you started a business yesterday, um, but how you want to sell is how we're going to build that. So do you want to sell your business um, and stay in your business? That's possible. Do you want to sell your business and go sit on a beach? That's possible. If that's the case, do you want somebody to come in and buy your business and continue your brand? Or do you want somebody to buy your business and you don't really care if they dismantle 20 or 30% of it because they have a bigger business and they just want your core? Um, all of those different options that you have is going to affect who buys you. Uh, and so right. as we're doing that, we're aligning with all of that stuff. So it exits the way that you want. Typically, I would suggest building the business three to five years bringing in a financial buyer, somebody that has the money, really likes what you're doing, but they don't want to run anything. They just like your business so that they come in and buy it. Um, then I'll have you usually take 70% of your chips off the table, leave 30% in, so you'll still retain 30% ownership. But what that does is shows the financial buyers that you're still engaged into the growth and you still want to grow. Um, you'll use their money now to bend the growth curve even further for another three to five years. and sell it a second time this time maybe it is to a strategic partner uh which you're leaving but that second sale is always bigger than the first and so that 30 percent that you leave in is usually always bigger than the first sale so it is a progression over time um but it doesn't have to be that way um but you just have to yeah. have a business that's capable of being sold um which means the financials and everything else i mean it takes and i say three to five because it takes three years 
when it's anytime someone's going to come in and look at your business, they, they want to look at three years of financials, tax returns, all these other things. And so you have to be able to know that somebody is looking at these things. And so as you're building it, you got to keep that in mind. Gotcha. And that um, makes sense. And is, I'll give you an example because you said some of your listeners are thinking about starting a business or maybe just did. And so they're not into it. Right. So yep. if I go out and I start a business and year one, we're doing a million dollars of sales, gross revenue, but let's say 10% of that, just to use a number, a hundred thousand of it is mine. So I get a hundred thousand dollars a year. The next year I duplicate that. So now we're doing 2 million. I'm making 200,000 year three, we're doing 3 million. I'm making 300,000. I've built a phenomenal business for myself, $300,000 a year. It's a good income for uh, you know a lot of people and uh, I've done a phenomenal job doing it. But I built the business. It revolves around me. It cannot sell. It can't really work without me. Um, so if I took the exact same things, but put systems in place to do it, year one, exact same model, million dollars, hundred thousand is mine. Year two, two million, two hundred thousand, year three, three. So if I compare the two, option one was I've made 600,000 over those three years in total, hundred thousand year one, two, and three. The other model, I built a business that provided me the same money, but didn't revolve around me because the systems were in place. Now I have an EBITDA of $3 million. Right. And somebody could come buy me for $3 million. And now I made a million dollars a year for three years. And I could do that again. So if I can, because the, the, the multiple on it, but let's just take that away. Even if I sold it for a million dollars, which is a 60% discount to my company's value. I made a million dollars versus the other one I would have made 600,000. So if I can duplicate that process every three to five years. So when I talk to people who are just starting a business, they're like, oh yeah, that's nice. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to get it to this point and then I'll engage with you to go do that. No, do it right now. I don't care if you started a business yesterday. Build Definitely. it with the mindset of I'm going to sell it with because the deadline is the motivator. Like I said, I don't want it 20 years from now. If I want... I can build and sell every three to five. The value is in yeah. the multiple, not the salary I create myself. I'll go, I'll, I would rather take no money for three years, work at McDonald's and sell my business for a million dollars three years from now and duplicate that every three years. Yeah. Because if you're going to have exactly. a 30 year career, shit, you're going to have 30, $40 million or more just by selling mm -hmm. million dollar businesses. You don't even have to build a hundred million dollar business, which everybody wants to try to do is hit these home runs. Who cares about the home run? Get the get the small ones and build them and sell them, you know? Sure. Yeah. Do you think uh, building systems is one of the most important aspects in terms of running a business? Yeah, absolutely. What's the point, right? If, if, right. if you're not building the systems, you're just building a self-employed business. And, you know, if you can do that, why take on all of the headache and the stress of running the business, right. the taxes, the financials, building the brand? the financial risk of investing and building it yourself, just go work for somebody else. You're skilled. You're going to make the exact same amount of money. You're going to help them do it, right. but on their budget without the stress, you know, mm. but if, if you want to build a business, you have to build the business. And that is never you as the owner. The owner is the keeper of the vision. Every owner wants to be the CEO. The CEO is different. The CEO is not the owner. The owner has to own it. The CEO's job is to control the executives 
and to do nothing but network and grow my business to sell it. The operations mm-hmm. officer does the day-to-day in the business, roll up the sleeves, gotcha. work, right? And so I think that people misidentify because they want the title. I don't care what the title That's is. I don't big, care what yeah. they call me, right? Just, but if you're the owner, you're the keeper of the vision. You have to keep the vision. And there's always two businesses that we're always working on, the business that we are in and the business that we are becoming. And most people get tied up in the business that they're in and they don't think about the one that they're becoming. You know, but what do you think are some of the, the most important skills a business owner needs? Is it networking? Is it lead generation? Is it sales, marketing? Uh, the business owner? Um, yeah, like what are the most important skills that you find? You communication. Need as a right. And I would say mindfulness. So mm. paying attention to everything around you. So th- there's a there's a video. You, you've probably seen this one. This is kind of an older one, but uh, the video's instructions are to there's a black team and a white team, black shirts, white, white shirts, and they're passing a basketball around and they ask to say how many times, count how many times the ball gets passed. And so you're focusing gotcha. on the ball, right? And then they say, who saw the gorilla walk across the stage? Nobody saw the gorilla. So they replay it. And of course, sure enough, there's a freaking gorilla walking, a man in a gorilla suit walking across the stage. <laughs> so then it's okay, we're going to watch it again. So you watch it again this time. Yep. You see the gorilla walking across the stage. Now, how many times were the ball passed? Nobody can answer that question. Your focus on the gorilla takes your focus away from how many times the ball has passed. You can't do both. Right. So mindfulness. So when it comes to growing a company, being mindful of your employees, people's lives change. People get married. People have kids. People get older. Um, and so are you paying attention to their needs and and the shifts in their life, or are you just coming in and going to work? Because that type of mindfulness is going to affect your performance. Are they performing at the level they are? And your inclination is to come in and yell at them or fire them. Maybe it's just a simple, what is going on in their life that you can help them with or tweak or understand so that, you know, they are capable of doing it. All of a sudden, I've seen it so many times where you have these high performing salespeople and then they have a bad month or two and, and the owners are uh, kind of all over them. Like you're going to get fired. You're, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Da, da, da. You don't know what's going on with their life. And so there's always a reason yeah. for things. Right. And so it's mindfulness in that, but at the end of the day, also it's mindfulness to your customers, your clients, what are their lives doing? What do they need with their business? You're providing a service. But if you get that tunnel vision of saying, and I had this conversation the other day, it's, you know, any business is that way, but let's just use a service-based business. So, um, you know, I had a a guy on my podcast who um, owned a, a small window washing, washing business. And that identity of I'm a window washer, that's all you're thinking about. So I said, you're washing windows. Why not sell them? Why not do gutter cleanings? Why not offer landscaping? Why not do other things that are related? Because your customer, there are older people who can't wash their windows. 
I bet you they are also paying somebody to mow their lawn. I bet you they are paying somebody to do X, Y, and Z. Why not offer it all? So if you're not paying attention to what your customers needs, things that they, they do need that they're not getting addressed or things that they do need that they're paying other people for that are within a sphere related to what you're doing, why not offer it? Right. Cause that's ways to grow a company, but if you're not paying attention to it, you're never going to see it because your identity is tunnel visioned. Um, and of course, if you're the owner who's working in the day to day of your business, you're never going to see it anyways, because you're just too busy handling the day. So communication to be able to communicate the vision and energize people on where you're going. Cause if people don't see the future, there's no, there's no optimism from there. There's no energy involved in it. And then if you're not paying attention, if you're not mindful of the shifts and anticipating the future and being able to create things for tomorrow that don't exist today, yeah. you lose it. Now the yeah, CEO really and the operations mind. manager are different skills. That's so, so yeah. the owner True. to do different things. Yeah, I really feel like the mindfulness and the communication, they kind of go hand in hand. Like if you're not mindful, it's hard to communicate, right? That's true as well. Yeah. 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 So uh, I got a deep one for you. Um, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Nobody's going to save you. Nobody's coming. Mm. You're in the ocean with a life raft. There's no ship coming to save you. So what are you going to do to get yourself out? I think too many people sit around and wait for help. Um, thinking someone's going to take them to a different level, right? Now that's kind of an oxymoron for what I do because I'm here to help you. And you right. reaching out to me is reaching out for that life vest. But you don't need me to do that part of it right but a lot of people do i think mm -hmm. where you are needed though is in your own performance um because you already know the answers you know how you're going to get yourself out of this situation but too many people are stuck in their mindset and don't can't find the inner drive to get them out and that's at the heart of everything that i do is what i do for people but i think that's really the biggest thing uh, there's a couple of really good ones that i could think of but i think at the end of the day it was just understanding that you have to figure this out and you have to do right. something no one's going to do it for that's, you yeah man that's really deep so uh, where, where can we find you if, uh, say, if we want to reach out to you or we want to follow you on Instagram or stuff like that? Yeah. So uh, my website is my name. It's AntonioBravada.com or TonyBravada.com. They both go to the same place. Um, and uh, all the links to social media are on the website as well. But um, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, I'm pretty sure everything is Antonio Bravada or Antonio M bravada but um they're all there of course mm. the website's probably the easiest way to go um and uh of course you can email me or call as well and if i can provide yeah. you that information you can put it in the show notes or whatever too sweet yeah i love your name by the way antonio bravada it's got a good good ring to it 
I appreciate it. I didn't get to hear <laughs> it, but you know, I appreciate it. <laughs> True. Yeah. Well, man, it's been, uh, it's been an honor. You really gave a lot of knowledge today and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.